Hello, I'm your host, Ian Gibbs, and welcome to the Learnability Show. We all know that part of the formula for learning to enjoy life is about being fit. But how do you get fit if you hate going to the gym? And what would you say are the six key factors to being fit if only one of them is to get regular exercise? To answer these questions and many more, today we're going to talk to somebody who went from being a mechanical engineer to becoming a professional online fitness coach. His speciality is flabby middle-aged men from all over the world, from Australia to Finland, Mauritius to Spain. So can we have a big round of applause for Heg Salgado. Welcome, Hake. Hey, Ian. Thanks ever so much for having me on. It's a, it's a pleasure. As I said in the introduction, you are a, essentially a, a miracle worker. You take flabby, middle-aged men and you turn them into healthy, sane and fit human beings. Is that correct? That's a very nice description, actually, Ian. It's never, put in, it's never been put into those words exactly, but in a way, very much the case, yes. What you see, often the the people that come to see me are people that have been very successful in their own life in terms of finances, running a business, and they get to their sort of mid to late 40s, and guess what? They look at themselves in the mirror one day and go, oh, crap, I've done really well, I'm an exec, I'm director of whatever, I run my own business, I've got two homes, but the rugby days are so far behind. I look rubbish, I feel rubbish, I don't sleep, and I'm getting a bit concerned. And all of a sudden, is a bit of an issue. And that's really where we are sort of come in. I identify completely. Yeah. <laughs> so before we dive into the business of what you actually do, would you like to give us a little bit of background of yourself? Yes. And how you got into the, the business? Absolutely. Well, it, it's, it's probably, um, I suppose it's a bit convoluted in a way. My background is engineer. I'm a chartered engineer by, by training, okay, here in the UK, mechanical engineer. Now, I arrived in the UK back in the 80s, did all my, all my engineering, if you want, um, and um, lived in uh, different countries, in the US, in Spain, in the UK, doing engineering. And the one thread that's always remained constant throughout my life has been that I've always been very fit. So running marathons, pumping iron since, since I was a teenager. I'm in my 50s now, still lifting weight, um, etc., etc. And then about four or five years ago, um, I thought I'd really want to pursue, and, I, and that sounds a bit cliche, I wanted to live my life, my passion, but I really, it got to the point where I'd been going from pillar to post because of business and because of industry said, you know, go to work here, you're going to work there, now we're going to make you redundant, now we're closing this project down. And as I got into my early 50s, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do what I've always wanted to do, and that is fitness. So I then qualified as a personal trainer, um, I, I, um, that would have been in, in 2019, started in 2018, got my level two, level three, and then set up my company, 2019 Fitness TMB, and then started coaching. And that's really how it's, uh, so you could argue, uh, Ian, I'm a late developer, and I've been very late getting into fitness in a way. But then again, the experience I have in life for older people seems to gel rather well. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's never too late to get better at anything. 
I have to ask because I'm, I'm just curious. In where I live in here in Barcelona, Spain, the TMB stands for Transporte Metropolitana Barcelona. Oh, I love uh, it! I've never been told that before. <laughs> absolutely fantastic. I'm, I'm absolutely sure that that that's not what TMB stands for in the name of your company. Like any name, like any brand, you sit down with a bit of paper, you start bashing words around to try and make some sense of life and what things mean, and all these long list of words come out. Now, fitness has to be there because that's at the core of what I do. I, I do mindset and nutrition and all sorts, but fitness is very much epitomizes visually, if you want, what I do. Now, I was very mindful that I was going to uh, coach and train people that weren't that bothered about a six-pack. It was much more than that. And I'm also very mindful because of my own experiences. And um, I can't say I've suffered from depression or anxiety. So I'd be lying if I said this was me before. No, I, I, no I've always been mentally quite tough so the mind had to have a very important place in fitness so tmb stands for thriving mind and body okay so very much brings the the three pounds of blubber that we have between our ears that actually accounts for 20 percent of our energy consumption has a massive impact on our well-being how we look at the world emotions and i'm just very mindful that the mind has to be treated like another muscle so that's where it all comes in. You were always interested in fitness yourself, you said, from being a teenager. How did that translate? When was it that you sort of gave your first training to somebody else? Okay, so here's the thing you see. I don't suppose you go from A to B just like that. So over the last 30 years, I've had a number of training partners, different ages and different locations in the world. And uh, and I always, I always found myself fairly... In a, in a natural way, able to coach people, to give advice, even from the early days before internet, before YouTube, before all of this, I used to get a lot of my knowledge from the old bodybuilding mags, nutrition, supplementation, routines and other sort of stuff. And it's something I felt myself very comfortable with. So then I guess when I did decide to actually do it seriously, get qualified and go into coaching, it's something that to me seemed a, a natural way to tell someone how to do things better, how to live a better life, and, and so forth. I just found it fairly easy. And so when an individual comes to you, what, uh, let's say, a, a flabby middle-aged man, do you have sort of uh, an off-the-shelf program, say, right, okay, this this is what 99% of my clients do, or is it more tailor-made? Okay, so, so that's a good question, and it's a bit of both. So most of my coaching is based on what I call the six pillars of health. So when I started training, I had, to, I had to look and say, well, what really affects someone's well-being and fitness? And when you blend it down to, a hand, it's literally a handful of things, okay? So the biggest one of all, blended into sleep, is habits and routines. And, and you've heard about routines. Aristotle famously said, we are what we repeatedly do, and so on and so forth. And habits and routines is massive, because with that, you get good sleep. In other words, your morning routine, your evening routine, and so forth. So sleep is probably the biggest thing that I coach because most people, as they get older, sleep worse. When you sleep poorly, you dysregulate your hormones. And if you're knackered in the morning, there's no chance you're going to want to do anything. That's it. No diet, no nutrition, enough. So sleep is absolutely massive. So then as we keep on going down the line, habits, routines, sleep, you then bounce into something which is perhaps unexpected, which is hydration. Most of us don't drink enough. 
and the research out there is pretty compelling to say you really need to drink much more water than you drink. So I coach people, I know it sounds funny to drink water, okay, and I really raise the water level up, okay. Um, and then from that, we look at nutrition, which is straightforward, exercise, and finally, mindset. I say finally because mindset is massive, and I work on mindset from the very beginning, but you have to have an order for things, so I just enunciate if you want mindset at the very end. But those are my six things that I work to take someone from A to B. Now within that, some people may need more or may need less. So, so a little bit is if you want the basis is what I've just mentioned and then we make it bespoke to every individual. Because if you like paddle or you like lifting or you like walking, I'm gonna try and incorporate the stuff you like into what you do. If you don't like it, guess what? You're not gonna do it. These six pillars are obviously the key part of your training. And uh, if, if the listener is like myself, I've, I've already lost count of the six. So it's habits. Yeah, habits and routines, I'll make it one, right? Sleep. Sleep, that, that'll be two. Yeah. Right. Then we go on to the hydration. Hydration, the Three. water, yeah. Then we go into nutrition. Yeah. Which is okay. obvious. Yeah. Then we go into exercise. Okay. Five. And then finally, mindset, which is six. Okay. Because it just strikes me that the the habits and routines is really all of the the following five done regularly in the right way, isn't it? Correct. Or, yeah. 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 So where would you normally start? You know, uh, Mr. Baggy Bank Manager comes to you and says, "Look, hey, my life is falling apart." Yeah. So so first first of all, you see, when we do have a catch up, what I do is something called a transformation session. So as soon as someone comes to me and says, okay, hey, they might see me on LinkedIn, for example, and they might reach out and go, well, tell me what you do. And I go, well, tell me what you want. And we, I need to find out what motivates them, what's their desires, what are they looking to do. A lot of people are, most of them, probably 80, 90% are looking to lose some weight and just feel fitter. That very much encompasses a big majority. I do have a couple of people that go, I'm not so bothered about the weight, I want to put muscle on. But that is a small group of people. I'm actually coaching a few like that, but that is a minority, okay? Most people just want to lose weight and get fitter. So then what we do is um, I need to know about what motivates them, what are they looking to achieve, how's their life going in general. You, you need to know a little bit about the client and the individual. Are they married? Are they not married? Do they have children? Do they not have children? What are they? What's their sort of desire for two years or three? You need to know about the person, don't you? Before you can really say, and then you say, okay, I've got a bit of a full picture this is what I think you need. So assuming they come onto my program, then what we'll do, we break it. The program's broken into 13 weeks. And there's a bit of a funky number, but 13 weeks is exactly three months. Okay. And because my clientele is a little bit older, I give an extra week. I think 13. I know it's, I'm not particularly superstitious. It just makes it a better number. Then it's essentially the program is five weeks four weeks and four weeks and in the five weeks we try and basically get everyone in the groove so five weeks to sleep well to eat properly so you say the obvious question is so what do you do for the following sort of uh, nine weeks okay or rather um, eight weeks I uh, get my math right so essentially you optimize you increase things that I'll do as which you may find surprising things I add into the program is things like meditation now, you may not think that a fitness program would have meditation, but meditation for very busy people that are really, really all day with things in their mind and they need to quiet down the mind is an absolutely massive tool. So in the second phase, 
right? So I do a, a, a reconditioning phase, which, which is the first five weeks. Then we go into the recharge phase. That second four weeks, we talk of things like meditation. The other thing I'll incorporate is, for example, intermittent fasting, which you may not expect. So intermittent fasting is another massive tool. So I've been picking all the best hacks that I've been able to find to put a really good program together to have massive, massive impact. That's been the, the, I haven't left anything out. If you told me that jumping up on one leg and tapping your head really worked, I'd probably have a look at it. I always try things on myself first and then I try and incorporate it into the program. About f- two or three years now, I set myself a, a challenge experiment to lose weight. And I'd, I'd written a book called The Sorites Principle. And the Sorites Principle is all about this idea that regular insignificant habits build up to have a significant effect. Absolutely. And so what I did was I put together a list. The objective was to lose weight. My my objective was to lose about 10 kilos. And uh, I, I put together, I started off with a list of about 20, 25 different little habits that I could do. And I went on, I went on adding them. And I think in the end, I ended up with something like 60 different insignificant habits. And over a six month period, I actually lost 16 kilos. Makes sense. Makes complete sense. I I was at 110 and I got down to 94. Absolutely. Some of these things were, were sort of psychological habits. What I mean by that is, for instance, every week I posted on my social media that I'd got this challenge to lose weight. And so every week I would take a photograph of me standing on the scales or or to be more accurate, a photograph of the scales with me standing on them. And so there was this business of I I knew that every week I was going to have to declare myself to friends and family about how I was doing and and there was you know other things like you just don't take the lifts anymore your escalators you always take the stairs uh drinking water all all of these things and lots of other weird stuff as well in fact i don't know if this is something that you've found with your clients but i found that the biggest challenge to controlling weight was not losing weight it was keeping it off and what I mean by that is that I could, you know, I could go down 100 grams here, 150 grams there, get it off little by little. And then you get invited to a kid's birthday party and there's all this buffet of food around. And for instance, over Christmas, there are all these Christmas parties that you go to. And one of the habits, this is serious, right? One of the habits that I discovered worked really well was to hold my wife's drink. Wow, okay. Right? Now you say, well, why Why is this up? Well, it's quite simple. If you've got your drink in your hand and you've got your wife's drink in the other hand, both hands are occupied. So you can't pick up food while you're talking to people. That's a really cracking habit. Yeah, I've never, I've never heard of that one, but it's really clever. Makes sense. The opposite is also true. When you go somewhere and there's a spread of food, you just have one little sandwich and it makes no difference. And then... Well, have another little sandwich, maybe maybe one of those buns over there. Oh, there's a slice of cake. Oh, that's nice. Well, just maybe half a slice of cake more. You know, after three hours of standing next to a buffer, you've eaten half a ton of food. That That is a challenge, yeah. 
so so I uh, counteract that um, the, the couple of hacks that I uh, use for that so one of them is to actually enjoy the buffet not pig out but take it easy and then one of the things you can do is obviously you could you could work some of it off for go for a long walk or whatever the other thing you could plan to go for this and one of the big hacks that I use is fasting I don't know if you've ever done any fasting yourself but um, it's called the other way of talking about it is uh, time restricted eating so one of the big benefits of it um, is for example when you have two meals within a six or seven hour window so say you first you have your first meal say at two o'clock in the afternoon and your next meal say seven or eight in the evening from eight o'clock in the evening till you have your lunch again you've got loads of hours of fasting and all you're doing is burning 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 now the reason I say this is because following your buffet where Ian's been naughty okay so what you do, that was on a Sunday and you were naughty, you get back home, you go, fair enough, then the first dinner you're going to have is a salad and tuna at 2 o'clock in the afternoon the following day. You get up in the morning, your body won't be impressed, your belly will start growling, and you go, well, you shouldn't have eaten that yesterday. And you go for a nice long walk, you have a bit of black coffee or tea, and you let it all go, and before you realise, your body will go, fair enough, I'm not, I'm not going to get fed, I just start burning fat. And you literally just switch over to you have lunch and that's a very easy hack to do and if you do it regularly your body becomes quite efficient at it i very much agree with the idea of intermittent fasting i invested the 15 euros in the the fast diet book and read it avidly yeah there are quite a few books on fasting obviously it's a big thing so yeah yeah, loads of different books on it and the thing that struck me is that uh this was in pre-covid days so we'd gone back it was the the christmas that i was trying to to keep my weight down and we went to visit the family in in sheffield yorkshire and uh for a day out to do a bit of tourism with the wife because my wife's spanish we went up to the York Museum and there was one section there about what people used to eat 600 years ago or whatever. And it, it was stunning, really. The, they were saying that the, the amount of food that the average person ate, uh, I'm not sure if this is a day or this is a meal, but either way it's still a bit shocking it was the amount of food that you could hold in in one hand that was the amount of food that you had and you compare that today like you need a bucket to cope with some of the portions that you get served in restaurants or or whatever and even when we serve food at at home you know you have a a large plate and suddenly it just gets piled on the portions have got very, very big, and the thing is, what what happens is, you see, and people don't realise this, a lot of the a lot of diets you go to, so the big thing about portion control, because <laughs> if we had known this ages ago, you are designed by, I, I don't know if you know about, we we if I can give you some quick background, very very quick background, if if I may, yeah, we live in a body that was designed ten twenty thousand years ago, right, yet our, our habits and our living is something that's been developed over the last ten or twenty. So there's a massive lack of congruency between what we are built to do and how we actually live. Essentially, we see food and we are designed to be hungry. It's called the secondary hunger system. Let me give you an example. You've just gone to a restaurant, you feel absolutely fine, you've had your all your food, and the lady comes around and goes, may I offer you a pudding or a gatto or whatever it is? And you go, and you were fine till you got offered that. 
absolutely fine. And you go, oh, that sounds great. That's because you have a pudding stomach. Didn't you know that? You have your normal stomach for your regular food. And then there's always space in your pudding stomach for dessert. And that's how we work. And again, going back to your to your portion control, it's all about that. And if you see food, that's why they put, for example, food on the... You go, you go and buy clothes somewhere, and guess what? You've got food by the clothes. They've, they've managed to put food in every place because they know if you see it, you will want it. And as long as you know you're going to see it, and if, if you tell yourself, look, Ian, when I see food, I'm going to want it. It doesn't mean to say I have to have it and you're mindful of it, you can then start working against it. Don't forget, the food industry is a very, very powerful lobby, and there's a lot of money to be made there. And right now, uh, there's not much interest in making us eat any less. Honestly, there's there's a lot of lip service, but trust me, there's so much money behind food, behind pharma, and I don't want to say this, I don't want this to come over the wrong way in, but there's a lot of benefits enough in us not being healthy. And I'm not going to go into that because it sounds like I'm, 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 I'm saying something funny. But trust me, there, there's a lot of big interests out there for to sell the stuff, to push pills, etc., etc. I, I know exactly what you mean. That's that's the the wonderful thing in living in a, in a democratic uh, commercial state, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I think the important thing to take away here, Ian, is we know what's being what we are bombarded with. We need to be mindful of our controls, our hacks, our habits, from the water, from the fasting, from the walking every morning. And there's so many things that we can do. And also, when you eat, it's super important how you digest and how you burn it. It's, timing of food is so important. And again, a lot of this stuff, if a lot of people knew a lot of these hacks, it will make life so much easier. Let me mention something very quickly, Ian. Sure, sure. And this is something that makes me laugh. When I discovered this a few years ago, have you ever heard of this so-called what's the most important meal of the day this is as per urban myth what do people say the most important meal of the days go on you tell me i'm gonna have a stab at breakfast yeah this is common thing guess who said that and when have a guess so we know we both agree that breakfast is the most important meal of the day also we think it is but who was the first person to coin it it's going to make you smile when i tell you it wasn't somebody who was selling breakfast to people, was it? If I was to tell you Arthur Kellogg's, okay, <laughs> and if I was to tell you it was 1920 and he was a guy that coined it and the rest is history, there's no evidence that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. In fact, if you want to lose weight, it's about being in a calorie deficit. And in fact, the whole thing is in a 24-hour period, it doesn't matter when you eat. There are little factors about upsetting your sleep, but in general terms, you could have one meal a day or you could have five meals a day. It's about that your balance in terms of macros and micros at the end of the day makes sense. Game over. That's it. I did not know that. I did not know that. I've learned something today. Brilliant. This is another conversation I have with the the wife regularly, uh, especially regarding the kids, because as you may know, because you, you, you've got a little bit of Spanish culture in you, haven't you, Heck? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. I was born in Spain and uh, lived here for sort of 19 years before I went over to the UK. Right. So you, you'll know that, that in Spain, or at least in the, in the bit that I inhabit, they're obsessed with having five meals a day. Yeah, they've got the famous merienda, which, which sits around five o'clock in the evening. And uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So you have your breakfast. You have your elevenses, you have your lunch, you have the merienda, your five o'clock tea, whatever, 
And then you have your dinner. At 10 o'clock at night because everyone comes home super late and everyone doing the extra activities and you're lucky to have any food before half nine. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, well, I think that's that's more down south, actually, up here in Catalonia. Our, our meal time is about eight, nine o'clock in the evening. OK, so it's probably a little bit earlier. OK. It's still pretty late for the UK when you, you're sort of usually sitting down about about six o'clock, something like that. Absolutely. We we uh, we have a little bit later, but we are we are dead on seven back in sunny Surrey. Seven o'clock is dinner time and that we are done by half seven, which is fairly for Spain is super early. Absolutely. So this idea that and and, and it, it it's almost counterintuitive because well no counterintuitive suggests that it's right I, I I really think that that someone somewhere has got the wrong end of the stick here but my wife says and she's been told by her nutritionist that in order to keep her weight down she has to eat regularly okay there's okay it's all true to it's all about relativity right now first of all i'm not a nutritionist i'm not a doctor i'm a habit hacker okay that's basically me and i've done through a lot of empirical work i've seen what works and what doesn't that's all i've got that's all i've got in my credit now i've had a number of clients coming to me that have come off the back of a nutritionist pulling their hair out part of the problem with nutritionists is some of the programs that they've studied are 20 years out that's not their fault is life you could have a, a doctor doing a program that's still 10 years out so what we do now listen let me give you let me give you some context i read a book by a doctor the awesome dr life and this is not a joke the guy's called dr life okay he's now in his 70s he was a massive thing in the 2010 he was a guy in his 60s full of muscle anyway the point is i bought his book and actually took it with me to the states in 2013 now being a doctor being a fitness guy even in his book, which I read not that long ago, to have a check, he even then talked about not eating fats. So just give you context. As recent as 10 years ago, we were being told, do not eat fat because fat makes fat. Now we know it's totally different. Now we've got good fats and bad fats. The good fats being your avocado, your olive oil. All of a sudden, because what happens is, this is something a lot of people don't understand. What makes you fat is some types of carbs and how they spike your insulin. So let me keep it super simple, okay, for the listeners. Now, you can have anything you want. Everything has a calorific value, whether it's rice, bread, pasta, meat, whatever. Now, the thing that's going to really spike your insulin, okay, and mess things up is your carbs. So I'm not saying don't eat carbs, be mindful of them. I don't restrict anything on the diet. Just have to have, because at the end of the day, if you can't burn it, what are you going to do with it? It's going to go into fat storage. So far, so good. Okay, so that that is a big thing that, that people often don't understand. Now, going back to the original comment about your nutritionist, you can have five meals a day or you can have one a day. Trust me. Just imagine you need 50, do the maths, right? Imagine you need 1,500 calories. You can have 250 uh, or whatever, 300 times whatever the number is, you're going to 300 times 5, you got, you got, you got your 1500, or you can have one sit down, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 1500. Doesn't make any difference. You've got the same amount of calories. So the theory is that if you just have the same amount of calories, your body will behave roughly in the same way. Now, there's a few caveats here, okay? If you have five meals, 
you are making your body work all the time. You think of yourself as a herbivore. You don't get to rest your digestive system. That's a fact. Because if you are if you are picking all day, you are eating. Your insulin goes down, goes up, goes down, goes up. We are not talking of the uh, uh, we are not talking about the, the macro breakdown. We are not talking of whether it's veggies or pasta. Let's keep let's keep it super simple, right? Five meals against one. Now, if you just have one meal, you're going to have all your food. You're going to digest. It's going to go into the blood. And if you don't have any food to the to the next 24 hours, you've given yourself a 20-hour rest or whatever it is, or 22. That's a massive benefit. And your body has had to suss it out to make you burn fat and everything else. So that's some clear benefits of the one meal. Obviously, from a social from a social standpoint, you're a little bit unsociable because you only eat once a day. What what's that meal going to be? All your friends are not going to want to eat with you because hey, Ian only eats once a day. There's a bit of a problem with that, right? That said, from a physiological standpoint, that would be absolutely ideal. Now, um, in terms of energy levels, it can have a bit of a, an effect if you just eat once a day. Your five meals a day, from a health perspective, you could probably make it work really well. If you say some of your meals are small, your salads, your tuna, your, your lean meat and whatever, if you get the balance right, it will probably work quite well. Uh, the only slight downside to that, I would say, is you are constantly in inverted commas eating yeah so if you ask me um the the most meals i'll eat in a day maybe once a week i might eat three meals and i have a breakfast maybe once a week the rest of the time at the other six days a week i will just fluctuate on two meals and then occasionally i go on one and what i like to do is in the last week of the month i'll do a bit of fasting i'll do an omad for those that don't understand what OMAD means, one meal a day, okay? Um, I'll probably do two of those a week, and on some months, I will probably do a two or three day fast. So I'll have my meal on the Sunday, and I won't have another meal till Wednesday, and then I break my fast. But then, I'm trained in doing that. I've been doing this now for a long time, so I wouldn't recommend that anyone jumps on this. I would suggest trying the odd two meals within a six hour window. That is very beneficial. One of the things that I tried to do, which I failed at spectacularly, was I had to go at writing down everything that I ate. It, yeah, it was it's often referred to as a food diary. A food diary, right. Okay, yeah. so I kept, I kept yeah. a, a food yeah, yeah. diary. And I gave it up after less than a month because it was I, I was running out of paper, to be honest. You know? <laughs> and, uh, but one of the things that, that I did learn was actually how much stuff I found myself eating in between meals. Yeah, picking. It's called picking and snacking. They're the absolute killers because, yeah, yeah that, that is a one where, where you, you try and get rid of the picking and the snacking. And what, what I realized is there were two factors which really made it difficult not to do that. One of them was boredom. Okay. And one of them was stress. Okay, yeah, stress, but both, yeah, perfect. So after trying to prize the, the TV remote out of the hands of my kids and getting them to do their homework, I'd take a deep breath clench my fist several times, walk into the kitchen and grab the first thing that I could find and shove it in my face. That yeah. that was the stress. And then the other thing was, you know, it, it, it was boredom. Not, th not that I'm bored, but I work a lot from home. And it's easy It's easy to go into the kitchen and pick something, whether it's uh, this, that or the other, it, it's easy. Um, the, it, again, that is part of habits. That is where the really habits come in. So uh, when you feel... But, 
here's a here's a hack for you often that boredom and pickiness can you believe is dehydration and you're so desperate to drink you could do anything to eat on the off chance you'll get some water in you most of the time that hunger is a missignaling and often that hunger is actually thirst so you feel a little bit peckish go into the kitchen put half a pint down your neck and you automatically feel better that was one of the the habits that i did stick with for the six months was before anything before breakfast before anything i'd have a glass of water yeah yeah that is key yeah that that is key the water and the other thing i mean i don't know if you like coffee i personally like coffee quite a lot so i'll have my two coffees in the morning sometimes looking forward to i'll have two or three teas and then once you start doing this on a regular basis your hunger starts to wane you don't get hungry anymore and that's a really nice feeling so then you're doing stuff you get uh, obviously you get that sharpness in the mind where you're just cracking on with work and not feeling hungry is quite a pleasant feeling and you think wow how can i not feel hungry for seven or eight hours because you just train your body not di- no different like you train a muscle and uh, another thing that i mean it's all, it's all coming back now that we start to talk about it when you say about the, the the issue with hunger what i would also do is i learned to eat the amount of food that that satisfied me and then i'd stop eating so i'd learned to say right i've had enough I'll put this on a plate and have it later. That That is a bit like your portion control. You know, most of us, if you ever go to barbecue, you can eat three times more than what you need to eat. We've all been there, all done it. When you're about to blow up and someone comes with a nice bit of food and you put another sausage down your neck, we've all been there. We can probably eat two or three times more than what we need. It's just about eating enough. Again, that's back down to your portion control. Yeah. And holding your wife's glass in the other hand as well, so you can't have that extra sausage. And remember, the other thing, Ian, that makes a big difference is what you eat. Different foods in terms of macros have different body responses. So often, having a good bit of protein will take your hunger away. And if you have some good fats, like your avocado, like your olive oil, that will also help you uh, stay satiated. The things that will make you give you that sugar crush if you have a nice bowl of pasta, you want to have pasta an hour later. It's just the way foods work. And obviously... People need to learn what foods work with them. So there's a little bit of trial and error in all of this. If somebody was interested in working with you, would they have to be within striking distance of your house? I'm one of these new breeder coaches. I'm an online coach. So uh, to give you context, right, um, I coach anywhere from Australia to Mauritius. And I've actually coached in both places, Spain, the UK, Finland, uh, Holland. I mean, I've got people all over the world because I'm an online coach. So the beauty of this and the power of this is as long as we've got an internet connection, uh, we, we can be 12 hours away. It doesn't really matter. So this is, this is where technology, apps, uh, know-how. T- I mean, this is something we probably couldn't have been talking about maybe seven, eight years ago, maybe 10 years ago we would have struggled. Probably the beginning of Skype, we probably could have got away with it. But even though, yeah, it would have been tough. Nowadays, the way things are set up, it's just fantastic. So I can coach anyone from anywhere in the world. I'd imagine that COVID has also played its part with you. Well, funnily enough, I actually had everything ready. I I obviously didn't plan for COVID. I was online at the end of 2019. So when COVID hit, I just kept on working. I was actually building my business. I was coaching people uh, across Europe. And then towards the end of the year, then I started moving into the US and coaching and then so on and so forth. So obviously, there's been an explosion of online coaches, but... 
that's fine. I mean, I do what I do and I just focus on what I do. But for me, it's been absolutely fine in that sense. The image that I have when I think of a fitness coach or a physical trainer is the sergeant major type who's standing over some poor little bugger on the floor trying to do push-ups saying, you idle little bastard, get that ass working. You don't do that, do you? Yeah, see, the, the problem is, is that, that if you think about it, if you go back to the six pillars of health, Ian, you've only described one. So out of everything you said, you've described one out of the six, right? And this is the thing. Exercise is probably the least important element of the law. And I say, tell you that as a fitness guy, okay? Because there are other things that are so big that they dwarf fitness itself. And I love my fitness. As I said, I think I mentioned to you, I've just run the Seville Marathon two days ago, right? And this is at the age of 55. And, uh, and, and it was great. The reason I do all of this is so I can lead the life I want to lead, be fit, be strong, and, and so on. But in all of this, I'm very mindful that not everyone wants to go down the gym for an hour and a half. I really understand that. I, I, I really understand that. I have people that go, oh, no, I hate the gym. So the whole idea of fitness, as I see it, is really making things that are what people enjoy. So if you tell me, Ian, I really love walking, but I don't like the gym, fine. We are going to make you walk. We are going to keep fitness to a minimum. Just make sure we marry everything else up. You're going to lose weight and enjoy what you like to do. Because if you don't like going to the gym, well, then don't go to the gym. There are other things you can do. I find people that go, oh, I don't like the gym, but I've got a cross trainer at home. I love it. Great, let's do the cross trainer. And you've got people, they used to have it to hang the clothes. Now they get it out and they use it. Other people say, well, I like playing footy. I like playing. So whatever it is, it can be incorporated into the program. Um, so yeah, going back to your image of the sergeant major is far, far, far from that. Remember the other thing, Ian, a massive amount is people that come on my program really want to do it. Otherwise they wouldn't come. So you've already got someone who really feels that they really want to get to the next level. They really, and because if you go onto my website, you can see the transformations, people losing the bellies. You go, oh, maybe this guy does know what he's talking about. It's about showing people, the e I like to put it in, the easiest way to go from A to B. I will try and hack the easiest path for you to get fit and strong. And of course, mindset plays a massive part in all of this. Going back to the six pillars then, and the first pillar of developing the, the habits and routines, both of us know that explaining something to somebody is not going to work, it's not enough. What techniques do you use? What strategies do you use to try and get people to develop these habits and routines? Yeah, okay, so this is where you get specific protocols. I've got, I would have a video on sleep to explain to them how important sleep is and why. Most people will acknowledge, without going to too much science and hormone balancing and whatever, most people will acknowledge from common sense that having a good night's sleep is key. So you don't need to explain too much on sleep. Yes, we can get into all the science of it, but essentially that's an easy sell. So the problem is, how do we get to sleep? Oh, I can't go to sleep. I've had clients that go, oh, I go to bed at two o'clock in the morning. I go, fine. Oh, because I'm so busy, I do this, I do that, I do that. I've got a, a guy from Wales, two o'clock in the morning, okay? So I then say, well, look, what we need to do is get you to bed early. So you need to go to bed early so you get up early. So once they can see the logic in that, what we do is we set what's called the de-energize hour. So it's a protocol 
whereby an hour before you go to bed you start switching off the machine imagine if you're an olive factory I know you live in sunny Spain so if you have to switch a factory off there's a protocol for it isn't there you, start, you can imagine switches, levers, valves, and all the stuff to switch a plant down and start the following day. We are no different. Sleep is a process. You can't just go to bed and go to sleep. That's what people don't understand often. It's an absolute process. So we put that hour in front, the de-energize hour, so by the time they hit the bed, they can go to sleep. And of course, once they start going to bed at the right time, guess what? They can get up at the right time. And then you have another protocol for the morning, which is a morning routine. You don't just get up and go, hmm, I wonder what I'll do this morning. No, you get up, imagine you're in barracks, yeah, and with the Royal Navy. You'd get up in the morning, you know exactly what you're doing. That's exactly what we get people to do. So you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you have a wee, you may do your affirmations in the mirror, you then decide to do a workout for, say, 25, 30 minutes. It could be a workout, it could be a walk. Okay, so the whole protocol, as you get more advanced, you might do 10 minutes of meditation. So there's a whole protocol in the morning. Yeah, and by the time you're ready to roll, you are wide awake, full of energy, full of beans, ready to go because you've got the protocol in the morning. And the more times you do this, guess what? When you've been doing it for two or three weeks, those habits start ingraining. Just to give you some sort of context. That makes perfect sense. Successes and failures. Do you have any spectacularly memorable successes or failures? That's a good question, really. Um... Okay, so early on in my coaching, I got a lady, she was recommended to come with me, and she never mentioned that she'd suffered from bulimia in the past. And I probably wasn't sharp enough. It was early in my coaching, so I didn't pick up on it. As we got into fasting, it didn't work well with her. And one of the things with bulimia, you should not do fasting. So that went a bit pear-shaped. While she didn't go into full-blown bulimia, uh, the program didn't work very well for her. And I felt frustrated about it, I offered her more time, more effort, whatever, but it, it just wasn't for her. So that was one, that's the only client to date that I haven't been able to, to have complete success on. And it's something, I suppose, as part of my fitness journey, I just have to take it on the chin and say, right, you just have to learn with this. In terms of some of the spectacular successes, there was this guy, Alejandro, from Sunny Seville, uh, a year and a half ago, he'd, he'd packed up the fags, for international listeners that is smoking um, the cigarettes um, and uh, he'd finished smoking the year before so he was recommended to come and see me because he wanted to lose weight and by the time we met it was December so no one joins a coaching program in December because they're looking at Christmas which I get oh no I can't do that I want to stuff my face full of turkey I'll start in the new year which is fine I said okay he says I've given up smoking and I've I've bolted on about 15 kilos. I feel heavy. I don't feel good. Blah, 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 blah. At least I don't smoke. I said, well, that's fantastic. Congratulations to you. Great. So he then joined in the January, as agreed. He then also coincided that he was out of work. So he was out of work. Mentally, he was okay, but he didn't know he had to get a job. But what he did have was time, for the obvious reasons, while he was trying to find a job. So he came on this program. And he was so focused on what he had to do, like, I say nearly robotic, right? Really, everything we did, he did absolutely to the nth degree. He went on then to date, he's been the biggest loser. He dropped 20 kilos in 13 weeks. He's on YouTube, I got it recorded, and he was absolutely delighted. And to date, he's been the biggest loser because he implemented everything absolutely spot on. Um, yeah, yeah, so that was one of my biggest successes. Generally speaking, to put it into context, most people lose anything from 8 
to 11 kilos. Uh, and that doesn't count the extra two or three kilos they put on, on, ma on muscle or the two or three kilos of water that are carrying every day because of much better hydration. That is purely a body loss. So, so yeah, so it's, uh, it's quite exciting to see people uh, get to a better level. Excellent. You mentioned YouTube. Apart from your online coaching then, do you have other products? That's a good question. So on my list of things to do, I've got a few videos that I put on, um, on Hexile Garden Fitness TMB. You can find it on YouTube. But on one of my pet projects to do is to have my own YouTube channel, particularly designed for people over 40 to live. So basically what we've been talking about, I could make bundles of videos and explain it. And I think that'd be a great, great value. The only issue I have right now, Ian, is the time to put it all together. I'd love to have a YouTube channel and I think... I'm not just passionate enough to do it. I think I've got enough knowledge and know-how to give value. It's just putting it all together. Do you have any tips or takeaways for our listener? I do, actually. Yeah, yeah. So I, I thought this was useful. A few takeaways is if you look at the six pillars of health, I will pick three of them out. I mean, everyone knows eating healthy and doing exercise, you could argue that's a given. That, that, and people know that, obviously, uh, a donut is not as healthy as, as an apple. I mean, that goes without saying. But here are the two or three things that I would uh, I would give as takeaways, right? So these are what I call the non-negotiables. Uh, and each one has to make a list of what they consider non-negotiables. We've covered it before. Um, if you could only pick a few things, trying to get good sleep and having that as an absolute must. Some health experts believe that that sleep itself is more powerful than exercise and nutrition combined i'll say that again sleep is more important than nutrition and exercise combined so my one takeaway is don't mess with your sleep get it right get your hours in and make sure you get up refreshed okay little things to go with that consider cracking open the window make sure your room is not too uh, not too warm that's an easy one to miss okay and the other one is hydration. We talk about water. You want to get at least two liters a day. Most people need two liters. Anything between two and three is healthy. World Health Organization recommends two liters. Between two and three is great. And the other one, of course, stop drinking by nine o'clock at night. So you don't have to go to the toilet at night. So it doesn't upset your sleep. So those two things together. And my final hack so everything I do and I coach, I do myself. So I would never coach on something that I haven't tried myself. That's, that's how it is. Simple. Okay. So the fasting I've done myself, everything I coach, I do. Now, last October, I saw a post on LinkedIn by someone I knew personally, and he recommended the cold showers. Now, I'm the sort of person who would not even wash my hands in cold water. That's the sort of level of wimpishness that I have, okay? So I'd wait for the warm water to go warm before I wash my hands. So this is something that didn't appeal to me at all. However, I thought I'd take the plunge and, I, and I'd go for it because I was really, this is someone I really followed for a long time. So cut a long story short, back in October last year, I started taking cold showers. Uh, at first, they were literally 10, 20 seconds in the morning. And I've been in cold showers since about middle of October until now. And this is, bear in mind, I live in the UK, Surrey. So we're talking probably, the water comes out probably four or five degrees if you're lucky. And I'll do that in the morning for about 15 seconds. And it, and this is a funny one that I've discovered, right? I do it before I go to bed at night, which sounds totally counterintuitive. 
So I'll have a nice warm shower, lather up, wash, and just before I'm about to get out, I'll bang it on full cold where it hits the end stop, can't go any colder, and I'll just stay there for anything from about 30 seconds to 50 seconds and just get really cold. Once you switch off, your body goes into toast mode because your body is reacting against the cold. It's known as cold exposure, and if anyone wants to know more about it, I recommend you listen to the great Wim Hof. That is an easy hack. The health benefits are amazing. And that will be a whole podcast on its own, just the health benefits of cold exposure. So those are my three little hacks. So hydrate, get your sleep better. And if you don't want to have cold showers every day, even if you can do it a couple of times a week, it's better than no time at all. What was the name? Wim Hof. Wim Hof. He's, a, he's the ice man. He's a man in his 60s. He's been doing it for 20 or 25 years. He's got a book written, the, the Wim Hof Method. And uh, he's been around for quite a few years. You can find him on Instagram. You can find him on YouTube, everywhere. Wim Hof, W-I-M-H-O-F. He's a beast. If anybody wants to find you, Heck, where can they go? My website is fitnesstmb.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn as Heck Salgado. And if anyone wants to write me an email, it's heck at fitnesstmb.com. All of that information, dear listener, you will also be able to find in the notes. Hank, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. All the best with, with your projects, your YouTube channel, getting your international clients. And I look forward to seeing how you're getting on in the future. Thank you very much, Hank. Thank you so much for having me. And it's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs>